When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley. We've got, um, I think this is a transactional agate page podcast, <laughs> because Nordan has had a ton of roster turnover. Um, as I think Priester and I have both written, this is generally a healthy thing for Notre Dame. Um, and a lot of this move, or a lot of these moves sort of come at player 60 to 85, somewhere in that group. And it's... They've needed it because they've added players on top of that. Um, let's get the roster deletions out of the way first. I'll just rattle them off. Tyler Luatua retires, medical disqualification, uh, as we've reported a bunch of times, and you know it, it's apparent that he's had a bunch of concussions. Parker Boudreau transfers. Uh, he's visited Central Florida since our last podcast. We talked about Josh Barras and Tristan Hodge leaving. And then you add that into Devin Butler, Max Redfield, Malik Zaire, Colin McGovern, John Montalus. If you wanted to get technical and say that Torian Fulston and, and Torrey Hunter both left with a year of eligibility on the table, I guess that you could. Uh, but it's a lot of roster turnover. I'm not sure how significant any of the guys that left recently are um, beyond Tristan Hodge, who we already talked about. But it um, look every year. They've had transfers since the 80s, so why wouldn't they have ones ones this year? Well, guys are, you know, there's always that must-get, and then six months later, you wonder why you have him, right? And it, it happens very quickly. Pete, I like the way you put it in your story, like, who would you rather have, like a Parker Boudreaux, who you figured was not going to contribute or certainly wasn't in a position, or wide receiver Kevin Austin. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's guys like, it, it, you're making an exchange, and... You know, there's always that must-get when recruiting's going, and when you lose them on signing day, oh my God. We never look back at the ones where you lost on signing day and then and then don't do anything elsewhere. It's it's the ones that you, you know, you lament and regret because, um, you know, they were great. But there's a flip side to it, and they're tight in this class. And so we know that there's some... some um, players at the back end of the roster that aren't going to contribute, and those are the players that they are losing, which is, if you're going to lose anybody, those are the ones you want to lose. So roster deletions help in this case. Uh, Hodge, just to circle back, he's gonna. it's going to really hurt if Sam Westford gets hurt. Other than that, if you can just have good health on the interior, guard, guard, center, it really wouldn't be, he wouldn't be helping out in any other way. So, But if Sam Westford gets hurt, it, it's, it's unfortunate because Alex Bars, as Pete and Tim have mentioned, Will be the backup center now, and it just it logically hurts your line if Alex Bars has to move to center and you have to put in a different guard. Yeah, because Bars has no background, and it, uh, it hurts two positions clearly. And he's can't argue the other way. And maybe he's, three, maybe three. It's, yeah, and he's going to be snapping the football all summer, but that doesn't simulate live, you know, live action, live contact, and so yeah, it That's it hurts. Yeah. I, I I'm still not sure that Hodge. I know some people are saying, well, why is he leaving? Because, you know, he will he could start the following year. But I'm not sure that he was definitely penciled in long-term, 
especially, I think we may have talked about this in our last podcast, especially, um, you know, with, with somebody like Aaron Banks, who I think I really like him. I think he was on a rival, and everyone's just kind of stuck to it, Hodge. He was penciled in when he got here yeah. as the, first, the true center on the team. You know, He's I wonder, yeah, I mean, his background, his the competition he faced in high school, you have to wonder about that a little bit. <laughs> yes. Right? From a lot. Idaho, yeah, yes. a lot, a lot. So, um, you know, good news, bad news. But in this instance, you know, when you lose guys that are at the tail end of your roster, uh, you, you can take advantage of that in the upcoming recruiting class. And more than, I think, two-thirds of the guys that Pete mentioned were seniors that are graduating. It makes sense you're not going to come back to... Probably not start, and after a four and eight season, you might want to get go somewhere else and finish your football career. They probably didn't enjoy last year as compared to other years they played in Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And there's no way they did, and none of them are the top of the pecking order either. Yeah, there's there's no question about it. And whenever there's a transfer, I think people focus on it in a much too uh, micro way, uh, where you're talking about okay, why didn't it work out for this kid? Um, you know, there's this. The time that they invested in there was the evaluation wrong, and really, it's you know you'd serve yourself well to look at it more macro and say, well, was this the best use of the eighty-five scholarships? Because uh, at the end, it's it sounds clinical and cold, but the eighty-five is the number that, and Notre Dame is working off that, and that's that's why I wrote what I wrote. It's like, would you read when you take Parker Boudreau on? I think he was a good take, but then when it clicked. It doesn't click for him, and you know that it's not going to. And he wants to go somewhere else that's closer to home. I, I think if you're Notre Dame, you applaud that. You say thanks for for coming up. I you know appreciate your service, and then we'll look for the next guy. And then you figure out if that guy's going to fit, right. and you hope that that clicks, and then he'll be here for four or five years. Similarly, you mentioning micro macro, and and we we both use that term without realizing in print that that each was using that. But and and I and I lead into the grad transfer guys, Cameron Smith. And Alohi Gilman, I mean that that's really that that's really low risk. And I know that you know, I mean Cameron Smith has a history of injury issues. I I, I get that, but you're only making a one year commitment there. Yeah. And Brian Kelly talked to you, Pete, the other day at, the, at his golf outing about you know they feel when Cameron Smith is healthy, that's a guy that can to, to give him high end speed uh, on the outside. And but you're making a one year commitment. I think that that's fully worth the, quote, risk that you're taking. Yeah, because it's, it's a zero risk to use it or lose it scholarship. Um, you know, you can have Cam Smith, who maybe can be a 4-4, take the top off a defense receiver, or you could not have Cam Smith and know that you won't be able to do that. So it was interesting to hear Brian Kelly yesterday when I talked to him because I had heard that the staff privately was concerned about the lack of Maturity, um, yeah, at, the, at those positions at wide receiver and safety. I hadn't, I hadn't heard that. I had heard that they privately they just don't think they're fast enough at receiver. Oh. Um, that they don't have enough guys. That's what happens can, when, you, when you have a bunch of six four and six five guys? Right. So it's they don't, and it's not even a situation where I, I think they need Cam Smith and Freddie Canteen to be the next Will Fuller. They need more like kind of an, a Chris Brown sophomore year or like a Chris Brown if you could recreate Chris Brown at Oklahoma twice this year I'll go three times <laughs> yeah. three times if you can give me three 60 yard catches between the two of those guys that force a defense to be like oh okay I gotta back off then I think man those those were good takes you know Freddie Canteen has two years of eligibility and Alohi Gilman is a, a different 
scenario entirely because he's got three years left. Right. Um, the backstory there, out of Hawaii, played at three different high schools, is young for his age, graduated high school at 17, went to the prep school at Navy for a year, and then was a freshman uh, a year removed from that. Was second on the team in tackles, had 12 against Notre Dame. Most interesting here is Notre Dame hopes that they can get him eligible immediately. The crux of that waiver is that the, I believe it's a Department of Defense issue, where they changed compulsory service after graduation, where you could get a waiver, sort of like Keenan Reynolds did, uh, Navy quarterback, where now it doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't matter if Aloha Gilman had 200 tackles and ran a 4-1, he was going to have to serve in the Navy for a couple years afterwards, and he'd like a shot to play professionally. And he's not real passionate about military services, what he told me. I misspoke saying Gilman was a grad transfer. Of course he's not. But but Canteen and Smith, the other... Uh, Brian Kelly did say this to you, though, that they, they do bring some... I don't know if he word, used the word maturity. Did, yeah. did he not? He did use that word. Yeah, with, maturity, with a, good habits, guys who have yeah. sort of, you know, a little bit more adults. I mean, right. you know, you're getting Older. 23-year-old, 22-year-old guys, which is, I mean, youth, youthful indiscretions. And, I feel like they've had a few of those last year. Yeah, and Canteen's an inside inside receiver probably, and Cam Smith on the outside. So, I mean, I, you know, I think those are certainly worth the risk, and at, at a, it's just a one-year gamble. It's Like you said, it's a 0% risk. Canteen also has a defensive back background. I keep harping on that, but there are about 47 receivers on the team right now, and if he can run down and tackle on special teams and catch one deep ball. I mean, if he's a special team starter on the run teams, two run teams, and he catches mm-hmm. one or two deep balls, it's, it's a huge addition. And it also would probably give him another year here because he does have two years of eligibility left. Pete, you talked to Brian Kelly uh, about a, a few things, including uh, an injury update, Justin Yoon, uh, Elijah Taylor. Yeah, he said both of them are on their way back. Elijah Taylor a little bit slowed, which is you know a little bit of that's well, not a little bit of a red flag. It's just a red flag. Yeah, because uh, and that, that's what we expected with yeah, the Liz, Liz Frank injury. Liz Frank foot injury. Those take a long time to get over. Uh, Kelly said that he felt Elijah Taylor would be ready to compete when training camp starts. August first is the first practice. Uh, we'll, I guess we'll see. I, you know, I've got a healthy amount of skepticism on that one because if if you're ready to return to practice on August first, that means the last two months you weren't ready to work out and get in peak physical condition for the start of training camp. So I think you're playing your way back. Uh, C.J. Holmes has said his shoulder was good. Um, that's probably not something that's going to affect this year one way or the other, unless he helps out on special teams. And then he yeah, had Justin Yoon, who is I, I think is one of those injuries we know the least about because um, he just he wasn't around in spring ball, and we didn't really spend much time talking about him because spring ball. And- I wonder. I, I mean, I, and maybe we'll find out as we get into fall camp uh, in in August. Um, you know, was it actually an injury or was it just a precautionary? Let's Late take fatigue. this re- right. Let's just take this real slowly. Um, you know, build up his strength and go from there. I don't I, know. I mean, I don't. I, we see, don't know. Are, are we overthinking that one Maybe. a little bit? Like he's a kicker. You know, I, how tired can your leg get? Well, but there's. I mean, there's. <laughs> it's not. T- I mean, I just think there's. there's in the spring, it should. Yeah, there's Brent, some Brent's moving parts. There's yeah, some yeah, moving yeah, parts yeah. in a hip with. You know, ten, I mean, tendonitis, and I mean, yeah, I, you know, and that's why I. That's why I always think that when you can have a second guy that handles kickoffs, it's always better for your kicker because 
We've seen that in the past, right? Where a Brinza guy handles finally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brinza was, and Brinza was strong as hell. I mean, right? And so and that was first a guy he embraced that, everything about it. Right. And then there was some issues, and he said, "Oh, I really get really get tired at the end." So I mean, I just think that whenever you can have dual ro- roles there, you know, whenever you can use more than than one scholarship player to handle those duties, it's best to do it. But, a couple, yeah. Other BK notes: no more roster additions. So I said, "Look, you're set at 84." And he's, Basically, like, yeah, we're set at 84. Um, so they'll look for another guy. That would include Colin McGovern. There had been some chatter on the message board because he's not enrolling at Virginia when he returned to Notre Dame. It didn't really make sense on paper. Brian Kelly said he's like, I don't know anything about that. He's not coming back to Notre Dame as a reserve offensive lineman. And we talked a little bit about facilities. Nothing huge there. I just find it interesting to see, like, what what are his priorities for what they want, Um you know, I think we've been talking about the need to actually have actually have training table services in your football facility for a long time. Um, they'll have that, more academic work, and then the second indoor field as well. So that's like all positives for Notre Dame. I don't really know what the timeline is on that. Certainly, it's not like we go out to the Goog and you see cranes and. Bulldozers yeah. in the back. I think it's maybe a while on that. Maybe Mike Bray will get his expansion. Yeah, I was going to say that kind of ties in. Yeah. That's what we've been waiting to hear about Mike Bray's facility. Um, you know, which which they have a tailor made one there at the at at Rolf's, but um, they haven't made the move yet. Well, since our last podcast, Nordin received a, a verbal commitment from nose tackle uh, Jamie and Franklin. Love the kid. Love him from the first time I saw him. He's listed as a three star. I will be shocked if Scout doesn't elevate him to a four-star at, at some early point during his senior season. Um, love the guy. I mean, I think I think your one-two punch there with Darnell Yule and him is, is really something that you can start building the interior of your defensive line with. They also have uh, Jason Adamalola, who we had a chance to see up close a little bit. I, I wrote the other day that I'm not completely convinced that he's a three-technique uh, as opposed to another nose tackle but having seen him you know I think I here's the mistake I make or this is what this is my wish every time I look at a three technique I want him to be Sheldon Day and if he doesn't look like Sheldon Day and I'm like no well, I'm not sure that he's a three technique but he no he ha, he has that skill and that's that's your three technique of the future Jason Adamalola yeah there's no question um yeah and I think Frank Franklin is He's just a power player in, Big inside, can shoot a gap here or there. But that's um, I I just sort of like his whole attitude, I like his personality, and in terms of who plays where and how well they do it, I will see Jamie and Franklin and Jason Adamalola in person at Nike at the end of the month, and they're going to be going against four and five star offensive linemen. So who bubbles to the top of that, and how athletic they are, I'll. I'll find out. It will be. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I pulled up the uh, Irish Illustrated football recruiting tab and went to the 2018 depth chart. And the guys on the left, which are incoming freshmen this year and next year, are much better prospects than the guys on the right, which will be seniors and juniors next year. And that's a good thing. That's what you because it doesn't. That's it's, it's a bad. The right's bad. The left looks good. So it's bad for this year. Well, before we get, did did we properly talk about Gilman and his game and what he brings? To the equation, or should we just jump into Irish Invasion? No, go, I mean, go for it. It's well, I, I mean, I, I, I haven't Ryan seen Ryan Kelly it. likes him. Yeah, no, I mean, I haven't seen a, a, a ton of... I've, I've seen some high school film on him, and I... 
you know, the general consensus, Pete, you can attest to this. Notre Dame thinks that Alohi Gilman, if he if he's eligible this fall, is going to be the best safety on their roster. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly the most college proven. <laughs> um, you know, Devin Sudsell is the only one who's seen a meaningful snap when you factor Drew Tranquil playing linebacker now. So, look, Gilman can play, and he when I talked to Gilman on Friday night, he said that Notre Dame sees him as a free safety who then can roll down and cover a, a slot mm-hmm. receiver. I buy that. Um, he said, you know, kind of fill the alley a little bit, which is a term you hear against option football. Clearly, he would be good against option teams, uh, one in particular. And, I, you know, I, I think you got to give Navy credit for rolling with this one because how often do we spend time, like, hammering schools for not releasing players right. to opponents? You know, they want to leave. These kids are not under contract necessarily. Um that would be a really tough one for me to swallow if I was Navy, but they did it. So props to them. Irish invasion, uh, Notre Dame. And I think the players involved caught a break because the heat and humidity came into South Bend about 24 hours later. Yeah. Uh, it was a nice breeze through Notre Dame stadium. We had a chance to the, see the, the new media might've caught a break standing there too. Oh, no yeah. doubt about it. No <laughs> doubt about it. We saw the, uh, the scoreboards in place and, um, you know, I mean, it was a Pete. You mentioned it. I mean, you've seen better players at Irish Invasion. That's actually my first Irish Invasion since they moved it into Notre Dame Stadium. And um, you know, the guys that we expected, with the with one exception, the local kid Moala. I mean, I think the guys that we expected to look good did look good. Uh, Shane Simon is fits the part. Cam McGrone fits the part. Um, you know, I. I think I think most of us came away thinking Justin Adamolola looked a little bit better than maybe we anticipated heading into it. Um, you know, not a great roster of guys. I thought there were a bunch of but there are a bunch of DBs that can play. I really like Corey Thomas, the junior that Notre Dame has an interest in. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what we didn't cover. We covered we covered the event pretty well after uh, you know when all was said and done in the, in the forty eight hours seventy two hours after the event. Yeah, it's um, it was a, a small guest list. That's I think how things broke out with the rivals five star challenge being the same weekend in Indianapolis. It was an ACT weekend and it was just sort of earlier in the month. I mean, there were guys who were just finishing up their academic years, uh, so it was not that set up well in terms of the timing lending itself to a big guest list. Also, Notre Dame went four and eight last year, so I don't think that helps the cause either. Uh, but if they can get Jason Oa and Shane Simon, great. I don't, uh, I don't really care who came and who didn't come <laughs> at that point. Uh, cause those are two outstanding players. Uh, Shane Simon, Alan true was there and he felt like, man, it's uh, Simon might be a little bit underrated by us and he's one fifty one. Um, I do think if Clark Lee and Mike Elko said, all right, let's craft this Rover linebacker, you would, oh, that's Shane Simon. Um, it would just come out that way. He looks, he's not Jalen Smith athletic, but he's got sort of the the 1% genetics thing happening where you've got like, oh, you look just more physically mature than everybody else out here. And you can see why, and I'm glad I got a chance to see him up close. Um, you see why he, is he still going to play safety for them? This he year? moves around. I mean, I mean, I, I understand. My point is, I understand yeah. why he was a safety. He's a long kid, but he's 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 outgrowing safety on the next level. He's growing into an outside linebacker, 
And he looked great. I mean, he really, you could, there were a handful of guys that just stood out physically, and, and he was at the top of the list, I thought. Look, we all like Koromoa for that position in the future, but you also don't bank on the projects that we all believe are underrated. Yeah. Filling roles forever, so yeah. this is this would be crucial. Pete, you don't think, uh, as far as, as as Cam McGrone, you uh, you don't. They're not in as good a position as they are with uh, like with a guy like Simon. No, I think Simon's on the verge of committing. Yeah, like maybe he'll be the guy who commits the day after this podcast. But Nord- uh, McGrone <laughs> is going to take his time a little bit. Right, and and Nordame didn't. Well, he was coming off an injury, so Nordame didn't show him a whole lot of love early on, and did that. That impact. No, I, I I know that there's some vibe about that. I I don't agree with like he's you know he took it the wrong way. Now it gave other schools a chance to make inroads with him while Notre Dame was recruiting other right. players. But I don't think that's going to carry the day. Uh, and you look at his offer list. I, you know, could he end up at Tennessee because they were on him the whole time? Maybe, uh, but. You know, this is a, I've talked to McGrown a, a few times. He's an Indianapolis kid, so he's local, relatively. Uh, he takes AP classes in high school, so he's got a little bit more of an academic curiosity, which is tracks well to Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame just stays on him. They can get him. He'll be the buck linebacker. Simon will be the rover. And then you still have Bauer and Agufu. I don't know how four guys for three positions really works, um, but... I think they're all really good athletes. And, you know, Simon, Agofo, they'll both be at the opening finals, so I get to see them, you know, in person. But, I mean, everything I, I've seen from Simon I really, really like. Um, so it's it's a, a good problem to have would be a way to describe that. Yeah, there was a physical maturity to McGrone as well. I mean, he just he just moved really well, very natural. He's listed six one. I, it reminded me of Coney. Remember when we saw Coney before a game when he was being recruited on the sideline? Maybe I wasn't with you. I was with somebody else, but I was like, you know what? He looks a little bit bigger than I thought he was. Mm-hmm. McGrone is is the same way. Now uh, Oe is he runs a four five. Um, at 235 pounds, great arm length, really still learning how to play football. Back to the word project, when Pete talks after most podcasts about just give me one guy that's 6'4", 235, yeah. and see if he can develop in every class. That's the guy! That's a little different. That's the guy that I want! <laughs> that is the guy, and I, and I think that, you know, I th- you know just look, watching him and react to Elston's instructions... That he's a project because he has very little playing experience, yeah, well, but I think that that's a, I think that's a project that's going to come along a little bit faster than most kids that you call project. Yeah, he's played eight games. Uh, I think our Kevin Sinclair was the first, maybe the first guy in the Notre Dame universe to write a, a recruiting update on him, and that was May eighth. Um, he was a three star. Pittsburgh had offered. Now he's just outside the top hundred, and Ohio State's heavily involved. Penn State's heavily involved. Notre Dame, obviously. Uh, he's outstanding. I know the coaching staff here freaking loves him uh, in, in as, as a player, as a person, as a fit. Um, you know, they certainly have had some, shall we say, big personalities on the defensive line under Brian Kelly. This guy would not be one of them. Um, he would, I think, make the job of the coaching staff pretty easy. And they just don't, they don't have a body type there. They keep trying to get this body type. Um, but there just aren't many of them. I, 
here's how this is how good I think Jason Oa will be. I think he will be a guy in two years where whether it be Pete Thamel at Sports Illustrated or Bruce Feldman at Fox will be doing big extensive features on him because his background is fascinating. Two parents went to Harvard, goes to a Blairstown Academy, which I think is like a fifty thousand dollar a year school. Um and again, the eight games of football, and then now offers from Penn State, Notre Dame, Ohio State. I just, I think he's a, a, a fascinating individual. And his parents, I think, if they had their pick, they would just send him to Harvard and say, play football there, that's fine, but that's where you're going to school. Well, maybe by the time Thamel writes that story, we will be in agreement on how to pronounce his name because I don't have any yeah. idea. Oh, 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 DJ Johnson was there. He was hurt. I like his high school film. He was a shadow of that on Saturday night. So that was disappointing. Not much you can do about that. Came in with a brace on his ankle, which I didn't even realize at the time. Uh, And he struggled. But I think he has four-star qualities. We've seen that on high school film. We'll see where Notre Dame goes with that. Uh, Who else, Pete, that that we need to talk about? George Karloftis, uh, a 2019 kid. Um, was all over the place on his 40-yard dash. Elson said, have you ever run a 40 before? (laughs) A little bit raw there. (laughs) You know, it's like, I I guess I would wrap up the invasion talking about Matt Bauer and Marquis Stepp, a couple commits who were there who worked out. Stepp, really, we haven't seen a whole lot from because he's been injured for basically a year with a hamstring. Uh, Tim, I think, sort of made the Jonas Gray comparison. I think that's a good one. Uh, He's got... Body shape. Big. Right. Big strength in the lower body. Yeah. Uh, And... Looked good in one-on-ones, not that running backs get to do a whole lot. And then Matt Bauer, I think, is a guy who's also packed on a ton of weight since last year, but is still sort of growing into it and figuring out, okay, you know, maybe I need to go down and then go back up over a longer haul. But I thought he looked like he had put on a lot of good weight, and the frame was there to do it. So I think over the next four years, there there showed some. He showed some good things there, too. Last thing I want to say about uh, the invasion is Paul Moala, who ran a 4-4, looked really smooth in every drill that they ran for the safeties. Not in pads, you know. I mean, so, Pete, I think you made the point. I mean, they've they've seen this kid. They've seen it on film, but it was in in a non-pad situation, but in person, where they offered a scholarship. I'm a little surprised. I'm quite surprised, actually. That they offered him now because because he's a local kid, you don't necessarily have to extend that invitation right now. But they really like him, and chances I would say are pretty good that he ends up in an Notre Dame uniform. Yeah, they're a, they shouldn't miss on a guy from Penn High School. <laughs> um, so we'll see. It'll be an interesting guy to track. I mean, you look at Indiana for this cycle: Marquis Step, Camagrone, Paul Moala, DJ Johnson. Four guys in state is a lot. Um, I mean, there are certainly cycles. I think was the last one one of them where they had zero. Yeah, they um, had a, they had a nice little collection of Indiana players the last time they were playing for the national championship game though too. That was if you not from one cycle, but you're, when you're going through in that twelve thirteen range, they had. A, I mean, you're looking at ending with twelve. You had Eifert, Braxton Cave, Nick, and Zach Martin on the team. Oh yeah, that, that's Sheldon. Sheldon Day, Sheldon was, a Day was a freshman. Then Jalen Smith came in after that. That's John, I mean, John Goodman was on that team. They, they, they've had it, but it has. It's been a couple years. That's that's the difference, I guess. Yeah. So I think they're jumping back into it, and I think that's one of the things as we wrap up here. It's. I remember talking to Chuck Martin about this, and I think he, 
expressed some surprise about some of the in-state guys Notre Dame had taken when he looked over the roster when they arrived. And he's like, but now I get it. Like, Ty goes to the local kid because you're not going to worry about a transfer necessarily. Probably going to be low, <laughs> low headache ratio. Um, and, you know, you just put him on the roster, see what happens in four years, and then you, you don't need to worry about it. So, And they, they just have a better idea of what Notre Dame's about. You know, it, this probably won't happen again, but I just named four of the best players in the last 50 years at Notre Dame. In Jalen Smith, Zach Martin, Tyler Eifert, and Sheldon Day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just think about that. I mean, that's t- Sheldon Day's a distant fourth in terms of career accomplishments at Notre Dame. That's a nice little collection. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for segment one, Irish Illustrated Insider. We've got a bunch of questions from our readers next. Uh, hoops talk, uh, recruiting talk, Brian Kelly talk as well. So, all next. Segment two, Irish Illustrated Insider. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider, Burning Up the Boards. We start with a question from Irish Bob. With the retirement of Bob Stoops, will his name hang over Brian Kelly's head like the sword of Damocles? I think I'm the only person in the world affiliated with Notre Dame in any way that never put that together when Bob Stoops retired. That, oh, man, no, he might be <laughs> Brian Kelly's hot seat. I well, didn't think it had anything to do with it. I also I mean, didn't get you it. You didn't either? Right, Somebody I, asked me about it, and I was like, I don't understand the question. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, I didn't get it at all. I, God, that was like the first thing that <laughs> yeah, I knew everybody was going to say. First of all... So I guess no, no, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you're the only one who knew who Damocles oh, was. Nice. Oh, okay. Well, just to, it's, a, it's a Game to, of Thrones, right? To, to paraphrase that, uh, <laughs> it's a... I mean, is a, the question is, is a, is a sword hanging by a thread hanging over yeah. Brian Kelly's head? If, no, a, thor- <laughs> a sword hanging by a thread hanging over Brian Kelly's head because Bob Stoops is now available. I, yeah, I never, I never put that together. That Bob Stoops was available for Notre Dame. I think that ship well, that's sailed because it's over. And well, it is, yeah. and, and I mean, he reti- he reti- he's retired. He'll I, come I haven't back. heard he'll, any. He'll come back. And, I mean, I think he's probably getting out for some reason. While well, the getting's good, he must. He probably knows a little bit. And I don't think he does. Like pers- I, I don't. I, no, I do not. I, health related to me. No, I mean, not necessarily health related. But when I watched Bob Stoops coach the last couple of years, he looked like a guy that to me. Was ready to stop coaching. I would just think a break helps you there. But he's fifty six, and, yeah. and 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 I mean, I think I wrote about this last week in Thursday Thoughts. I mean, his dad died on the high school sideline at age fifty four. Now, whether that whether that weighs on him or not, I I don't know. But not everybody, you know, Air Parsegian just when it was time, it was time, and very few coaches do that. And that was a completely different era, of course. But. I think he'll I, coach again. I don't, I don't. I don't. I no. don't. Pete, you going to break the tie on that? I I don't. I don't think yeah. he'll coach again. You know, it's like, how much How much do you need this? I mean, especially, like, let's just look at it from a Notre Dame perspective. Like, we all agree if, he's not coaching If you there. want to get out of coaching because it's just too much, you're sure as hell not going to go to Notre Dame yeah. where it's the most. I don't think he's coming here. I'm just saying I could see him coaching again, but it will not be at Notre Dame. That's why I never considered it when he retired, that Notre Dame had anything to do. I never thought, oh, someone's available. Yeah, that, was first, that, yeah. Was, I, yeah. that was the was first it? question I anticipated huh. getting. You didn't think of that. Huh. No. I he's just, so far removed from my Notre Dame consciousness at this point. That <laughs> <laughs> well, Urban Meyer, on the other hand, actually. <laughs> no, like, yeah, right. so, you know, actually, somebody asked me 
about Stoops coming to Notre Dame, and I said, I think it's more likely that Urban Meyer ends up at Notre Dame. I agree, Stoops. 1% to less than 1%. Yeah. Yep. Brian won USMC. What do you think of the recruiting atmosphere of Mike Elston compared to Tony Alford? I just love the recruiting vibe they have now, but Alford might have been better on a personal level. Your thoughts on that, P? Uh, I don't disagree. Uh, I think Alford, in terms of as a individual recruiter, is is great. Um, you know, I think in terms of a recruiting coordinator and being organized, Mike Elston is yeah. better for that role. That was something that I said when the change happened. Um, I think overall, has that proven to be the case? I think so. Um, I think Notre Dame recruiting is is fine. I mean, I, I think they're doing a good job, especially, and I, I don't think this gets talked about enough, and I understand why. They went 4-8 and eight last year. It's hard to sell coming to Notre Dame when the team went 4-8 and eight and everyone's telling you the coaches are going to get fired. That's just, that's just a hard yeah. place to be. And I think they're in an excellent, they're overachieving in recruiting right now when you factor that in. Now, does that mean a whole lot three years down the road and we're like, man, they really need to sign another defensive end. Why didn't they get another defensive end three years ago? Oh, yeah, so they're 4-8. and eight. That Nobody's going to care. But um, I do think relative to the circumstances, if you look at it rationally, they're doing a really nice job in recruiting right now. I'm always, every time I see Mike Elston coach, I'm impressed. The enthusiasm with which he coaches, and he talked about this spring, about how important that was with their D-line. We also get to stand next to him. He's the only one when we're inside. <laughs> stand right above Mike Elston's yeah, group. Well, every single. No, I mean, how much have you watched, you've watched Mike Elston coach every single practice? You're inside, I mean, he co- right Mike there. Elston coaches his ass yeah. off. Mike Elston coaches ass off the other night at Irish Invasion. And he's kind of funny when he's... But <laughs> he sees something he doesn't like. So, so I mean, I, I have a great deal of respect for him because he attacks his job with enthusiasm. And oh, I, yeah. And I, I don't have any reason to believe that he does is is anything less than that as a recruiter. Well, and think of what he's done here. I mean, he's coordinated special teams, and he's coached linebackers and defensive line twice. And, now, and also recruiting coordinators, right. but it's an invaluable guy to have on staff. He's a good soldier. He's proven that time and again. TM Pollard, with the Stanford offer to Thomas Booker, what is your percentage of Andy's chance to land him based upon your knowledge of the situation? Uh, good conflicting info on this one. Um, I would have said six months ago that as soon as Stanford offered, the Notre Dame's chances would have been zero uh, because the kid had taken classes at Stanford as, in a summer school capacity. Uh, I was really good familiarity with that. I do think the Stanford offer makes them the favorite. But Thomas Booker is visiting Notre Dame on the 24th of this month, so in 11 days. And I think Notre Dame's vibe on that before pre-Stanford offer was that Booker was coming to commit to Notre Dame on that visit. So if you get to that point, if you've made... Let's say Notre Dame had read that correctly, that Booker had made the decision that I'm going to Notre Dame. Do you then unmake the decision, or mentally, are you have you already sort of gotten to a point where you see yourself, I'm going to Notre Dame, I was a high school teammate with Jamie and Franklin, I've gotten to know all of the commits here... Um, I like the coaching staff. We'll see. I, I, I don't think the, oh, it's a layup for Stanford now uh, applies as much as I would have said that it applied six months ago because Notre Dame's been putting in the work on this and Stanford really has not. Let me play devil's advocate. Maybe the focus of his trip changes a little bit now. He still makes the trip. Now, now the red flag is when you hear, oh, well, he's not going to come in that weekend. Oh, yeah. Then. <laughs> but. He still makes the trip, but maybe the, his focus on it 
changes a little bit just because of the mere fact of the offer from Stanford. Yeah, I I don't know how much more he needs to learn about Notre Dame. Um, I think that when he goes to Stanford again, that will be that will be right. the, that will be the, the focus, focus changer. changer. <laughs> um, I think Notre Dame is Notre Dame. Maybe you know maybe Notre Dame pushes some commits to come back to hang out um, and spend more time with them. Uh, maybe they really push the bonds already built with the roster. Um, maybe they try to find some academic avenues there that they haven't hit yet. That's like, hey, we're Notre Dame is on par with Stanford in these areas that you want to study. And it, it's I, I don't really know. I, I think he's a he's a key recruit for Notre Dame. Uh, I certainly would not have said this last week before seeing Jason Oa, but if you could give me one of them, I would take Jason Oa. But I would ideally take both because you need four defensive linemen in a four-two-five scheme, and then down the line win some games. And exactly. Ooh, I, boy, I I'm not sure I would go that far to say I would pick Oa over Booker. They're two they're two different defensive ends. Right. I get that, but to me, Booker's a more established player. Whereas Oa is just a is a, a stopwatch driven player right now, or a measurable player right now. Fortunately, it doesn't have to be an either either no. or situation for them. Nor should it be. No, <laughs> no, no. All right. Next up, fresh sixteen nineteen with the two transfers and limited scholarship. Has offensive line depth become a real concern? Yes. Yeah, sure it has. Especially, I mean, as I said, there's one injury that would matter a lot this year. From what Boudreaux does not equate, he's not in the equation. But if Mustafer gets hurt, it affects the line greatly this year. Um, going forward, it won't be. He should be able to develop center from from the younger ranks at this point. Although I'm not sure exactly who that would be on the current roster, because you don't want Alex Barnes to be your backup center next year. He might be your starting tackle. He might be a starting left tackle. He could be a starting right guard. He's played everywhere, first of all. He played left guard as a freshman. He played right tackle last year. He's going to play right guard this year. He may have to play center. And you hope that Eichenberg and Kramer can both play tackle next year. Mm-hmm. So there are, some, there are depth issues. Next year is Alex Bars and Sam Mustafer as your probable fifth years. Your only senior, because of the loss of Hodge, is ruined. Um, you, you had four guys in that Bars class, but one is so good... He will not be around next year in Nelson. And one has never played in Burns, so he won't be asked back. So your four-man class becomes two as fifth-year guys. That's And then the two-man class that follow them, he's going to have Ruland, who's a career backup. So you really need to hit on not only Kramer and Eikenberg, which I think they will over the next couple of years. you got to hit on two of the three this year of the Hainsey, Lug, and Banks. Yeah, and what, what I think... What this does is it. it speaking of uh, Hainsey and Lug, it, it accelerates their timetable yeah. along with Aaron Banks. And it has to be good. Not I mean, they, backups. you know, somebody, yeah, somebody there may, whereas normally when they're a true freshman, they're not going to play. Someone there may have to play if there's an injury. I do love the fact that, and I hesitate to even say it out loud, but in order to get in order to get Sam Musfer out of the lineup. It's going to take a broken leg. Yeah, he played hurt. He played hurt last year. Right, it's, it, right. It take a lot, but it, so he's going to play through. Sure, uh, an, an actual injury. Uh, he he proved that last year. It's not a big deal that next year they'll have to start a redshirt freshman, or as you said, if he plays this year a sophomore. But you hope that one of them is able to do it. Hainsey, Lugger, Banks, because I think Ruland, well, a good program player, should not be a starting guard for Notre Dame next year against Michigan, Florida State. USC, Stanford, and everybody else. I think he's a good quality backup guy to have that'll yeah. go through and be a fifth year guy probably at your program. I mean, it's possible. I, I think the the question about offensive line depth is this year 
not really. Yes, <laughs> next year, yes. Um, I think that it is a, a real concern. But I, I do think this is... A, I think people often confuse names on the depth chart with depth. And those are two different things. This is actually something I learned from Tyrone Willingham. And he said that there's a big difference between depth and quality depth. And I don't think Notre Dame necessarily has either. But why, I think, do you, why do you say that so surprised? Yeah, that I learned something from Tyrone yeah, Willingham? Yeah. It was a long time ago. I can't it believe I still remember time. it. Um, <laughs> but I think if Hodge and Boudreaux were here, still here, I don't think Notre Dame would have quality depth. No, but they would have practice bodies for August camp. And Brian Kelly talks about when we're in the national championship game, we can't practice hard and tackle each other because we don't have enough offensive linemen. So you need more than 11 offensive linemen running around in a, in a program. Well, true. <laughs> I think Notre Dame's goals this year are not to have a functional th- second-team offensive line as they prepare for the college football playoff. If that happens, <laughs> if Notre Dame gets to a point where, yeah. man, you know, we got we got housed by Ohio State in the playoff because we didn't have a, you know enough bodies to run full-speed practices in December, great. You you can throw this back in my face and say, Pete, I told you that Hodge and Boudreaux were key to the season. You have not bought in enough, apparently, to the body by Bayless phenomenon. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and just as it as it pertains to who aligns where, I think Dylan Gibbons comes in as a center. Right? I mean, he was an interior offensive lineman anyway. Oh, that was problem, we're not, sol- problem solved. Right, <laughs> we're, no, we're not real. We're, we're yeah, not, you're right. I'm you're not right. real high yeah. on him as a player, but yeah. as far as he will be the, who's aligning where, he's a guy that I probably, I'm sure they probably put at center right away. Yeah, and I, you know, as far as those younger guys, I Lug clear, is clearly a left tackle. I think he's kind of one of those guys that, that mm-hmm. is a tackle who does not have positional flexibility. Banks is a guard. guard. I think Hainsey is going to have a Nick Martin-type college career where he's a tackle this year, then he moves to guard. Then he plays a little bit guard, and then he, well, maybe and in two years he takes over for Sam Watson yeah. as a three-year starting I would Based upon what I saw in the spring, I would not rule out that Aaron Banks can play right tackle. I wouldn't rule that out. Okay. I'd, I think just between the, the Kramer-Eichenberg combo, that's going to be a long way down the road before you get on the field. So I sort of see Banks as... Because they slot you where you can be Maybe Banks... I think the Banks-Hainsey ruling competition a year from now will be... Could be... Fairly interesting. I'm not really sure what Notre Dame, because it's a year from now as an offensive guard. I have no idea what it's going <laughs> Well, I think I agree with you, uh, Pete, because you have to slot them so they can help your team in practice. And yeah, there's right. no reason to put them as a third tackle where right. you can be a right. second everywhere yeah. else. So that's that's probably the... that's. Well, see, the depth has just destroyed that plan. There's... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. and, our, and our last question from I Love Notre Dame Hoops. He wants to know about... <laughs> Juwan Durham's transfer to Notre Dame. Uh, Priester, you're the expert on this. Well, I haven't. I'm, I'm actually. I'm supposed to get together with Mike Bray for a, a, a different reason here later in the week. But I actually did uh, uh, converse with Rod Bellanis, uh, assistant coach, his associate head coach, and uh, he's excited about him. I mean, I'm, I Ryan Humphrey probably is the one that's really excited about him because he's going to be instructing him, but. You know, they like his length, they like his skill, they like his versatility. He's a 6'11 guy. He's not a back-to-the-basket type of player. He's a, he's a face-the-basket player. He's somebody that can pop out and shoot, which is not surprising that Bray would want somebody like that. Uh, this was a quote from Bolanis that I, well, first of all, you know, he he had two knee injuries. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the ACL second, both? Uh, each leg, yeah, okay. uh, so... You know, in, in the second one, the more recent one. So they're going to move him to Rover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't think that they feel he is completely 
he's completely overcome that. Yeah. So to have another have a year to 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 get healthier and stronger because he's a two hundred fifteen pound guy, he needs that. But I thought this was the quote that you know that that I he. Bellana said he has as much natural ability as any big guy we have had. Now, when he says big guy, I don't think that he's talking about six foot five Bonzi Colson. He's talking right. about a guy that's six ten, six eleven. And you know, you got Martin Gebbin, who isn't anything like this kind of player. So August had a lot of natural ability, so that's a good compliment because obviously August yeah, is on his mind. Yeah, I mean, I mean, no doubt about it. And I mean, as you look to the future, you, you know, because Mooney, uh, John Mooney, and Elijah Burns, those are the guys that. They're going to have to have a bigger role, obviously, this year, uh, and then and then uh, Durham joins them the following season. So I think it's exciting because he's a he's a big guy. He's a guy with length that brings athleticism to the equation, and he's got a year to get bigger and stronger and completely healthy. I mean, if he ever becomes Zach August the senior at any point oh, in his career, that would be fantastic. Yeah, oh, be, yeah. I, I'm not, I, I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying that. No, of course not. That's. I mean, you got people got to remember how. Good Zach August became as a senior, and actually at the tail end of his junior year when he was dunking on Kentucky the entire right. time, it was that's a player. But look, this is a transfer in at a position of need. It's kind of like the Gilman thing at safety. You look up; it's not a it's not a point guard where you can say, "Oh, good, he can back up everybody else." This is a position they need. They need an athlete there, and it's been a few years since they've had that impact transfer that's been important. Like it's he could be better than Garrick Sherman. At Notre Dame, and that would be. Great. I believe. I believe yeah. that that is needs correct. To be. Yeah, he yeah. needs to be. Yeah. And I like. And I like the idea of a, a Durham Mooney tandem yes. that can pop out and shoot too. I mean, I think. I think Mooney's going to be a real solid, a good solid rebounder for them, a, a screener, etc. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how much Durham gives them on the backboards, which will be important as well. Yeah, I mean, it's like the Prentice Hub, DJ Harvey. Jawan Durham combo. It's like, oh, Notre Dame's looking fairly athletic these days. Yeah. Uh, and then if you, you know, it's like I think Belanus's point about as much or more ability as any big man they've had. Well, six ten guys who can shoot, dunk, run the floor, do pick and roll, end up in the NBA. Um, so they haven't had a, an NBA big in yeah. I don't. Know, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. No, with this but, kid, but I think you just. Hey, go see Tony Rolinski for a year, put on 15 pounds, yeah. get your knees in good shape, and see what you got. Um, you know, if if he comes in and, you know, the the burst isn't there, he's still going to be Notre Dame's best big because they really don't have that body type. Yeah. Um, and he plays the way I think Notre Dame is going to Yeah, another thing that Bilal said was he's looking forward to uh, – during going up against Colson on a regular basis yeah, in practice, that's help I mean that that that'll be real beneficial to him. That chip on the shoulder is still yep. there for Bonzi, so that will yep. work out well when they practice. Yeah, I, you know who's going to love talking about John during Bonzi Colson? Yeah, that's, can you tell us about how great this transfer is? <laughs> yeah, I'll be you'll, sure and ask him. Yes, yeah. <laughs> stare right through, him. stare right through you. All right, well, that's it for Irish Illustrated Insider. Our next podcast, guys, when are we going to be back? The twenty sixth of June. Twenty sixth of June. Two, yes. thir- thirteen days. Now that we've finally hit the off season for real, now that uh, we have Notre Dame's roster set, hoops and football, uh, so we'll be back then. Until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, I'm Pete Sampson. You've been listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by IrishIllustrated.com. Oh,